whole idea of branding is that it's about, it's about the customer and their gut feeling about the product or service or organization, not the branding, which is what the organization does. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the inferred time. promise as opposed to the stated or implied promise or anything around it. Inferred is like on the part of the receiver, <clears throat> the observer. It's not, it's not even implied. implied me, I can imply something to you. That's me communicating something to you. You can infer something based on what I said and branding. Hey, here, here's that. So this is like, I hadn't had this thought before, but this is, I've said before that like everything that, that can be said about branding has been said. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast, where we know that when you have clarity about your brand and for your business, so do your customers. The Everybody Brands Podcast gives you insight into branding and brand strategy that helps you focus on your customers and empowers you to outmaneuver your competition so you can achieve your company goals and grow your business. I've said before that like everything that, that can be said about branding has been said. Somebody's probably said this, but uh, um, I've never thought it before. It's an inferred branding is brand is an inferred promise. It's not an implied promise. Just like um, here's another one. Maybe I should write a book on branding. <laughs> uh, uh, value does not e exist extrinsically in the world value is like beauty it's in the eye of the beholder so value exists in you and the brand and the promise of the brand exists in you and it's very personal to you and there might be some commonality from person to person but it's this it's an inference right i can try to create meaning for my brand but at the same time i don't nobody will derive value from that meaning unless it connects with them in some way. So you're right. It is inferred. Yeah. And, and even the meaning that you're trying to connect might not be the meaning that, that uh, people feel like they say about value at the end of the day, value is nothing more than a feeling, a sense of regard as is the brand. So we can try to create value, but we don't, we never, we'd never actually know. Um, the value that other people are, are are experiencing but we can you know when they when someone comes up and says i've been you know for instance i had several people that totally unexpected walk up to me and said i've been listening to your podcast it's really you know it's interesting like so i said wow now that's three people who listen to my podcast <laughs> um but but they found a value in what they heard, and it may have been different than the value I was hoping it would, right, convey to them. So it is, but it's this is an interesting conversation because so many people. And we're using all of our good stuff before we press record. I already pressed record so that it's. Oh, you captured. did. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for joining me today, Blair Ends from Win Without Pitching. Here we're starting. Win Without Pitching is an organization that runs sales and new business development training programs for owners and employees of design firms, ad agencies, PR practices, and other creative businesses. 
But a lot of what he talks about is also relevant, maybe to your business, if you have a surface business. Blair is also the author of The Win Without Pitching Manifesto and Pricing Creativity, A Guide to Profit Beyond the Billable Hour. And this is Brian Soy. I'm going to be speaking with Blair Enns here on the Everybody Brands podcast. So Blair, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Um, you know, one of the things I was reading about you at the bottom one of your webpages, it says Blair provokes, challenge and inspires creative professionals to radically rethink how they build their businesses. Huh? Did you know that was there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if it's on my website, it must be true. That's all I'll say. Yeah, no, I think it is true. Really what I wanted to talk about here is just, again, this, this journey of entrepreneurship that you have, um, how books have been part of that and part of the trajectory of Win Without Pitching. But first I wanna drive back to this idea of um, what's, the, what's the purpose that really guides what you do beyond making money? Uh, well, our stated mission is to change the way creative services are bought and sold the world over. but when I think of my purpose and what I really want to do, I always think of, um, so I love creative people. I'm a writer. I consider myself a creative person. Um, but I always imagine a designer. And when I was writing the Win Without Pitching Manifesto, I was, I was writing it to a single designer. So I imagine this person it can be a woman or a man, but it's, it's often a woman. I imagine this person who's put on this earth with certain gifts and they make the decision to these, these gifts of creation, the, the ability to create things and they decide to make their, it's their passion. They decide to make it their enterprise. So this person decides that she's going to be a designer for a business. So she, uh, she's going she's gonna to do this for a living. So she starts her own design firm, hangs out a shingle. She begins as a freelancer and then she's quickly faced with the realization that design is only part of the job. There's all of the business aspects of being a designer and a self-employed designer, which many designers are. And she didn't sign up for that part of it, but she's willing to do it. And all of, of all the business parts, the part that she finds the most difficult is selling because she's standing in a room with a client or a prospective client about to share something that's like that she created that's deeply personal to her. And if it's rejected, the, the rejection is personal. So I think of that young designer in that moment is probably, that's probably the most vulnerable they are in that moment when they have to sell. And my whole business is built around helping that person in that moment. That's all I want to do. Just help that person um, give them a shot of granite to the spine is a line that a client of mine used talking about reading the book, the manifesto. Stiffen their resolve, empower them, let them know that they can do this. Just stand up, be your awesome self. Selling isn't that difficult. Let go of all of the horrible cliches around what it means to sell. And I just want to empower that person in, my, in that moment. That's it. And I, that's enough to build a business around. Yeah, I love that shot of granite to the spine. 
And you're right. I mean, I've been in that situation before presenting something and, you know, and I think many entrepreneurs do, even if, if it's somebody selling something on Etsy or you're starting to build a business and you feel like if I, if I share this with the world and nobody buys it, I'm a failure. It's not the product that's a failure. It's I'm the failure. And yeah. I think what you do is you help people move beyond the fact that, that you know, we're not the failure. It's, but the process that we've learned is broken. Yeah. And so you, th so we're talking about design and design for commercial design where you're getting paid for it, but you think of art and artists, artists are the bravest people. Any of us know. I have a friend who's just this, um, he's a polymath. He's just, uh, he cannot be pinned down in terms of what you would use to describe him. He's in his early seventies. He's one of the most creative, vibrant people. I know he does you, you name a creative field, he does it or has done it. Writer, publisher, singer, songwriter, um, illustrator, mountain climber, like it just goes on and on. like all these, not that mountain climbing is a creative pursuit. He's just a fascinating person. And he, uh, he's, he's the bravest person I know, because when you're, when you're creating art and you're, if you're performing that art too, you're, you're so vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there in the world. So um, I think there's just a lot of courage that's required to do this to begin with. And then you step outside of that domain and think, okay, now I have to, in some people's minds, now I have to be this sleazy salesperson. And that's just a misunderstanding of what it means to sell properly. That's a very vulnerable moment. But yeah, our, like creative people are brave to begin with but they're still vulnerable in that moment, or many of them are, not all of them. Sure. So when, when you made the shift from being, I mean, I, I, I think I thought of you as a consultant. So when you yep. made the shift from being a consultant to the CEO of a training organization, you know, what did that require? Was, was that moving past you know, your vulnerabilities? Um, what did it require? I realized I'd created a business that was kind of caught in the mushy middle between training and consulting, between um, productized services and customized services. And when I started to learn about value-based pricing, I realized this is a mistake. It's not wholly a mistake, but I really should go one way or the other. And part, you know, I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in this remote mountain village in British Columbia, a short 11-hour drive from Vancouver. So travel's hard for me. And I, I thought, okay, I've got to... I, I have to be a proper consultant where I go deeper into my clients' problems and help them create value that's more specific to their situation rather than templating everything. And I need to charge on that basis. I need to charge based on the value that I create. And that would free me from the financial ceiling that I would felt that I'd hit. I felt like I can't go any further. I can't work any harder, can't earn any money. But that would have been the way to do it. Fewer clients go deeper, charge more. That's proper consulting. Or I could go the other way and I could productize and scale and pursue scale and start hiring people to do the work. And I chose to productize probably because I hadn't done it before. It was like, okay, as a consultant, you're not really an entrepreneur per se. You're kind of a quasi entrepreneur, but when you start building a company and employing people, that's more entrepreneurial. 
And that's, it's, it's actually quite different. I'm struck by how different it is. So I decided to go in that direction. So your question was, but I, I could have gone either way, but because of where I live and other reasons, maybe boredom or the, uh, the bright, shiny thing of building a business, a proper business, it's bigger than just me. I went in that direction, but so what did it entail? What did I have to let go of? I am uh, fond of saying, I think I'm a smart guy, but man, it, I, some lessons take me so long to learn. Like the idea that other people could do what I do under my, like, like somebody would come to win without pitching and, and put up with somebody other than Blair. The idea that, you know, just letting go of my kind of vaunted place in my mind. <laughs> uh, I'm at the point only recently where it's like, I'm happy to have almost no responsibilities. I'm, I've, I finally, after you know, almost a decade, got into this place of really embracing delegation and empowering people around me. But I've, I've been slow to let go of things over the years. And so what did I have to get over? Like it is um, the idea that other, other people could do this not only as well as I could, but better than I could. Even intellectually, I knew that, but just... Uh, intellectually i learned that years ago just the habit of letting go and part of it is a, f a feeling of uh guilt feeling like i should be busy where now i'm completely at the other end of the spectrum i just keep saying to my team i do not create value by being busy uh, like if 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 we want to keep growing and grow faster i need to write every day and that's all i should do and then when a book comes out, I spend six months speaking about that book while I continue to write the next book. That's what I should be doing. So I don't, I don't, and how much should you write in a day? Man, if I could, if I could write 90 minutes a day, that would be great. I would take 60. And if that's all I did, the business would grow faster, but still I continue to hold on to some things that I probably shouldn't. Well, that's interesting. Just that, that letting go has to be a habit. Um, and I, I know right now it has to be a resolve first and then a habit. Yeah. I know one person who just shared on LinkedIn, like, where can I get a tattoo that says, you know, it reminds me to let go of responsibilities and she's trying to scale an agency. Um, and so that might be the resolve some people need to do is you know, tattoo it on their you know, hand. So they see it every day, but um, it, it, it definitely is a habit. I know it's one I cling to. I, I am resolved in the next year to at least begin the process of finding a VA to let go of some of these things that I know somebody else could do. They're just things that consume my time and take away from that other value creation part. Yeah. And I, I mean, you look at people who scale quickly and we're almost 20 years in business and uh, probably should be multiples of the size that we are. We're growing quickly now. Um, and it's always in the early days, it was always a lifestyle business. When I was a consultant, I was, my wife and I were raising kids in this beautiful little place there. I didn't work during the summer. Um, it was a lifestyle business until the kids no longer needed us. And then I thought, okay, well, let's see what we can do. Let's see, let's see how far we can go. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Donald Miller, author of Building a Story Brand, and I know you've probably been looking for somebody to help you with your marketing. I want to recommend Brian Soy, and here's why. Brian is a Story Brand certified guide. He's actually spent time with me, to, and he has learned how to create marketing that actually gets results. I think most marketing is a waste of money because it's all designed to make you look good, feel good, all that kind of stuff, not to actually close sales. Well, Brian knows how to close sales with marketing. If you want to grow your company, call Brian Soy and hire him as a marketing guide. You will not be sorry. I remember thinking back to some of our conversations about writing um, you know, as a way to proclaim and just define your expertise. But really, how, how in particular for thinking about other people who may be considering writing, what advice can you give? And, and how has the book then helped grow the win without pitching organization? I, I'm not equipped to give any advice on how to write because I've written two books now and people ask me like, well, how did you write the book? And I don't know. All I know is I don't, there are times when I establish routine. There are times when I write in chunks, both books, my wife, who's my editor had to drag me over the finish line. The last one, she locked me in a, in a condo in a, different city for a week and drag the last of it out of me. So I, I don't know how to read it. All I know is I start too much time passes. It's done. And I like wake up with this blurred memory of pain and fogginess. Like it's just, <laughs> it's a painful process for me, but I'm, I'm smarter and better off for having written it. So I don't know how to write a book, but I know, I know I have to write books and I know that's in me. So I have, I have a bias on this subject of like, should experts write? I'm absolutely convinced you can communicate expertise through other mediums, through a podcast, through a YouTube channel, through public speaking, et cetera. But I don't think you can deep, nothing deepens your expertise faster than forcing yourself to write about it. And and uh, often to write at length, like um, somebody once said, maybe it was David Baker, maybe it was Seth Godin. No, it wasn't Seth Godin. I think it was David Baker. Maybe it was me <laughs> who said, anybody can fake anything for about 600 words, any topic. And so I think a blog post should go 900 words. To me, 1,200 words is a sweet spot where it's like, I can't fake it anymore. I can't just co cover a topic super, superficially. Um, so there's something about writing at length that forces you to organize and crystallize your thinking. And David and I have talked about this, and we both agree that it's like you, you start writing a topic because you have an idea, but you don't, you don't know it all. You, the reason I write about something is to further my understanding of it. And I think people who don't write, who maybe think that you don't need to write to deepen your expertise, um, haven't thought about it that way. It's also possible that neurologically, I know this to be true, just neurologically, some people just can't write. They, they can't, it can't, it's not easy for it to, for them, for it to go from their brain through their fingers onto the page. They need to speak it. 
I'm my uh, my expertise travels through my fingers. It has to go through the keyboard. I have to write about it uh, for me to actually know it. Even the podcast I do with David, he and I both publish blog posts. He more frequently than me. And then those blog posts, when we when we have a good one where we want to go deeper, it forms the basis of a 35-minute conversation where we go deeper into that subject. And it's pretty rare that we will do a podcast, which is one of us interviewing the other, on a topic that neither of us has written about. In fact, it's probably never happened. That's good. Because... I feel like I'm the same way, but, and I've been fighting that idea that I should be more eloquent. I should be a better speaker. But when I start to talk, my brain immediately starts to go in the other 12 directions that I could take the conversation, but writing helps focus it. So I can, so I know what I'm thinking. And for me as a, as a designer, a lot of my books, I will diagram first and then mm. write to the diagram. And then even after that, I'm not sure I can articulate it well because other thoughts creep in. But I find the diagramming process very helpful. That so makes least- sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm easily distracted when I talk. Like even a couple of times in this short conversation already, I've started to make a point and then I start talking and I've lost track of like, where was some, I've left the trail. And when I'm doing um, public training, which I don't, do very much anymore, like in-person training, I would go off on a tangent and I would say to people, okay, I'm leaving the trail. I'd say to the audience, I'm leaving the trail here. It's your job to remind me where I left the trail. And I'd go make my point. And then I would be completely lost in the woods. And I'd say, where am I? What were we talking about? And then the audience would remind me. And so maybe it's just a bad memory, but I like, it's interesting that you say that because I find I'm a rambling speaker and I need to write to focus as well, just as you said you do. I think it's just the way in which we process our own yeah. thought. Some people are linear thinkers and others are, I believe, tangential. And I don't have research to back this up. This is just observations. So some people can start on their point, get to the point and move on. Like my dad's like, give me the baby, not the bathwater. You know, just yeah. once it's done. Whereas I'm looking at, you know, like, it's like the same way I problem solve, problem solve. I swarm on this on it and then come back to it because it's more of like, how do we, how does this fit in the system? Swarm sounds like a creative person's word for uh, unorganized, chaotic uh, approach to something. <laughs> no, it's actually it's actually approaching problem solving from many different angles at once because in traditional brand development, there's a lot of people stack these pyramids and it's like, you know, a stack up to the pinnacle yeah. where farming is looking at the problem from many different angles at once. And you may be going into opposition research, which gives you some perspective on the solution or how to recategorize, but those are separate approaches for many agencies. So the more, the more I study how branding should be done properly, I would say, Swarm on, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Now that makes me think of shawarma. See, there we go. (laughs) Shawarma. So so I know you're a follower of the 
EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System. How is Win Without Pitching structured since you have all this freedom now? Yeah. Can I back up and tell you the story of how we came to EOS? Sure. So um, I was familiar with it. And so his fourth book, Gene Gino Wickman, is that Gino Wickman, yes. Gino Wickman, yeah. His fourth book is called Rocket Fuel. And Rocket Fuel describes the relationship between the two most important people in an entrepreneurial organization. And often, often it is two people. Sometimes both of these kind of personas are wrapped up in one person. Like I have a friend who is both of these roles. The roles are visionary and integrator. So visionary is somebody who's in charge of the future. They're big thinkers, tend to be charismatic. People follow them. Um, they're creative. They can kind of see around corners. And an integrator is a systems person. They implement things. They get things done. They make the trains run on time. And that book, Rocket Fuel, is about those two relationships. And early in the book, there are these, um, there are this uh, diagnostics where you just ask yourself this list of questions and you score yourself. Are you a visionary or an integrator? And the time I was reading this book, my wife, my wife has worked in the business for years, even when we were raising kids, that was her primary job. She would do the books. And then as the kids became grown, she got more involved and then she came to work in the business full time. And her, that was, that was kind of inflection point number one when she came on board full time. But we had, there's a lot of conflict in our professional relationship because we're really different people. And when I read that book, I took the visionary assessment and I scored really high on that. And then I had her take the integrator assessment and she scored really high on that. And it was clear, this is how we work together. These are the, the different roles. And it, it's not that all the tension went away, but I would say the, the tension that remains between us in our professional relationship is a healthy tension. It's like, as David Baker would say, it's the, it's the tension that holds bridges up. <clears throat> So that's how we came to it. Now, how Win Without Pitching is structured right now. So I'm the visionary, Colette's the integrator. Um, and then we've got, uh, so we, so I'll, I'll back up two months. I'm the visionary, Colette's the integrator. Uh, we've got a director of coaching and then we have coaches and then we have a team support person and a customer support person, client, client success and team success. So one person is supporting our clients and coaches, <clears throat> and one, one person is supporting the rest of the team in administrative roles. I said backing up a couple of months because it's, it's changed now. So we're splitting the, we've split the training company from the publishing company. So I have two books out working on a third. We self-published both of those books, but the manifesto, the one without pitching manifesto has been out for a 11 years and annual sales have increased every year, year over year, um, except for 2020, except for the pandemic year where they were flat or dropped, actually dropped a bit. But now 2021 is back, 2022 will be back. So we've decided to get serious instead of just having it available only on Amazon in the United States. Um, we're pushing it out around the world. We're getting distribution. We're printing in Europe, as you know. We're 
Um, we're going to look at Asia Pacific. We're translating into foreign languages, et cetera. So that whole business, and then we're doing something similar with pricing creativity and we're doing something similar with the next book. So we're actually building a global, our own global distribution for my books. And, and that business is actually turned it's even with two books right now, it's, it's revenue that is not insignificant. It's, it's we, we could live on that. Um, and I want it to be multiples of it's what it's going to be. So my wife, Colette, continues to be the integrator of Win Without Pitching, but she is also the head, the publisher of Gagan Press, which is the publishing company. And Shannon Lee, our director of coaching, is now the managing director of Win Without Pitching. So she, Shannon runs the training business, Colette runs the publishing business, but Colette also serves as she has this very special skill set that doesn't really exist elsewhere on the team. Plus, she's a business owner of being the integrator. So we just had two days of offsite meetings with some team members for the first time in two years. She, we use the EOS for the structure for these meetings. We have a, a quarterly annual planning meetings, quarterly planning meetings, weekly uh, staff meetings called L10s or level 10 meetings. They're all very structured based on these EOS operating systems. Um, and uh, Colette being the integrator, she runs them. She takes notes. She's the one who kind of holds everybody accountable to getting done the things that we commit to getting done. And uh, that's her skill set. It's absolutely not mine. In, in fact, when I read Rocket Fuel and she read it, I said, okay, we're going to implement this EOS system. I, ha I held up the first book, Traction. I said, we're going to implement this. And then after a week of me not doing anything, she said, no, I am going to implement this. And I went, yes, <laughs> you are going to implement this. <laughs> That's great. I, yeah. we, my, my wife's also my business partner and <clears throat> she will say to me, when are you going to focus? And I do focus. It's just, I focus on a lot of things. <laughs> Spoken like a creative person. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm letting some things go this year. Uh, not, on, not only in delegation, but in, okay, where's my focus for the next 10 years? So yeah, I think, I think part of that though is we, we need to continue growing. Um, I'm a few years ahead of you in, in age and, um, you know, 26 years, I'm looking at another, you know, to me, 10 years of really hitting it hard for the business. I want, I have some financial goals I want to hit, some number goals, just I think more for to be able to say I did it versus yeah. anything else. But to do that, it requires the focus and the elimination of thinking about possibility in order to focus on opportunities. And that's been one of my guiding principles, just everything's possible. But what are the opportunities that are going to create that, get us to that goal? Okay, I'm going to put my headphones down and walk to the other side of my desk because there's an acoustic panel leaning up against the wall that is covering up a, sign, a piece of paper that I'm going to read to you. So okay. hold on, I'll be right back. This is where we cue the on hold to Bossa Nova music. Or this is going to be the perfect place where we put in a little commercial for Aspire. Many people struggle to create customers that build their brand and sustain their business. If this podcast helps you outmaneuver your competition and gain new customers, 
please open your podcast app and leave a five-star review so more people can discover and listen to the experts and insights we share. You can edit that out or leave it in for dramatic effect. It's a quote from Johnny Ive, the former SVP of design at Apple, who is now designing Ferraris. Focus is saying no to something that with every bone in your body, you think is a phenomenal idea. You wake up thinking about it, but you say no to it because you're focusing on something else. It's the only quote I have pinned to the walls of my office. Focus, focus, focus. It's like you're not focusing if you're saying yes to everything. And this idea of like, it has to be, there has to be sacrifice. There's, there's this thing that you really, really, really want to do. Like he says, with every bone in your body, you want to do this and you say, no, not now. (sighs) (laughs) That is so good. So well done, Blair. Thank you, Brian. And I really appreciate your contribution to both my books the first one in particular, because it is iconic in how it looks. So I think, I think together we really achieved what we set out to achieve and we just need to do it a third time. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll do my part. I'll finish writing the stupid thing. Oh, that's right. That's that's one of the little details that comes in is is actually right. Finishing the writing. Yeah. Uh, And then I'll do my best to actually live up to the manifestos. Attaboy. Appreciate that. All right, Blair. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you spending this time with us. My pleasure, Brian. Good to see you. You too.